I was told this weekend the way I'm walking now makes me look gangster. <clears throat> but I'm pretty sure once I started rocking the cardigan, that was gone. Welcome. Good to have you at Warehouse. If you are here and you have uh, questions anywhere along the way, that's what this card is for. There's also people for that. But this is what this card is for. If you have any questions about something that goes on and you want to get some information, jot down your question <coughs> as well as whatever contact information you want us to have and we'll get a hold of you. You can also talk to real people. I want to reiterate that, but this is a handy way for you just to put something down. Uh, today, we finished part three of a series called Stake in the Ground with a uh, talk entitled Adventures in Missing the Point. Here's my point. Duty is fine. Actually, sometimes it's good. There are times in life where doing your duty is exactly what you should do. You know, when somebody does their duty to their country, that's, that's great. There, there are times probably in everyone's job, what we're doing is you're doing your duty. You're being responsible. You don't want to. There's nothing in your heart that's burning to do it, but it's what you need to do. And so there are places in life where duty is great. You do things because you're supposed to, because you ought to, because you're obligated to, and to your credit, you carry through in that obligation. You're responsible with the obligation that's before you. That's great. There's a lot of good places for that. Uh, but one of them... Two of them, one's not relationships, nor religion. Surprisingly, I would think that perhaps if you've come in here and you're, let's say you're from America, and you've been in a church, you think, well, duty and religion, that's sort of like hand in glove, isn't it? Uh, unfortunately, that's often the case, but it's completely inimical to the uh, Christian faith, quite honestly, because it's about relationship. And duty doesn't really work that well in relationship. In other words, I, I don't go to see my kids do anything. Okay, that's not true. All right, let's, let's be honest. When your children are young and there's a musical at school, sometimes it's obligation. Let's just be honest. We'll get that on the table. But other than that, when my kids are doing something, I, I don't do it because I'm supposed to. I don't think, oh, Mason's got a soccer game. You know what? I will do my duty and go. I don't do that when Evan's acting. I don't do it when Abby was doing gymnastics. Never, never came. When I go out on dates with my wife, I don't say, you know what? I don't want to. I don't need to. But I will fulfill my obligation to have a date with you. I don't do that. Well, I, it, there's a lot of reasons. But one of them is there's no place in a relationship. None whatsoever. When duty becomes the driving force of religion, we miss the point. In this uh, song by Pedro the Lion, there's a number of lines that jumped out, but one of them where it says, and I can't remember it exactly now, when it comes down to duty, thank you. But if all that's left is duty, I'm falling on my sword. If that's all I got, let's just put an end to it. Song's a provocative song. I'll talk to you more about it after it's done. Welcome to Warehouse. I don't think there's that many things that are urgent. Seriously, sometimes it seems like we think everything's urgent. Everything's urgent. Everything's important. We rush around because got to get done now. Uh, I used to think more was urgent. I think less is urgent than I used to. I just don't think there's that many things that are that urgent. So, when I tell you that what I'm going to talk to you about today is really important, it's really important. 
at least I think it is. It's one of these things that, honestly, no messing around, that the point I'm going to talk about today, if we get it wrong and we're highly susceptible to getting it wrong, it will kill your soul. It might be doing it right now. See, that song by Pedro the Lion is, he used to be a follower of Jesus. He's not anymore. He decided to fall on his sword. He decided that if all was left in his duty, I'll fall on my sword, and then discovered that's all there was. And so he got weary and dumped it. I'm going to give you an illustration right now that's a very, very poor one. And the poorness of it is actually the point. In soccer, the goal is to put the ball in your goal and to win the game by getting more goals than they do. Everybody knows that. Occasionally you'll watch a team and they may have gotten a little bit too caught up in some of the activities that are not necessarily scoring goals. And like Barcelona's people, I was going to unarguably, but people are, they're the best team in the world. And it's hard to get the ball from Barcelona. They just keep kicking it around and you chase them. It's like, it's like keep away. And occasionally they can get to the end of the game and they haven't put the ball in the net enough. And, and they've sort of missed the point. However, nobody in soccer or in baseball or in, or in football really believes at the end of the game that, and argues with you that, no, 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 even though we didn't score as many, we did the right thing. Sometimes in sports, you sort of get off track and you mistake the actual goal for the, the, the false goal for the real one, but you always know that. You even know it as the game's going on, and you always know it at the end. Nobody is convinced that missing the point and tries to convince you is the right thing. The reason why that's a poor analogy because there is no good analogy, honestly, for the reality that Christianity is the only place I can think of, in religion pretty much in general, where missing the point and trying to convince other people that you're right is a hardened reality. That's, there's, there's no good analogy. I can't think of anywhere else where you miss the point and you actually argue with people that it's the right thing. For some reason, religion is extremely susceptible to be completely off, oblivious to it, and try to convince other people you're right. And so today, we're going to look at a passage, and it's one of those passages where you see somebody being challenged in very, very simple, straightforward ways, and you expect them at the end to go, well, that is so true, and doesn't, does exactly the opposite. We're going to look at the proverbial whipping boys of the Bible, which are the Pharisees. And as we look at this, of course, we're not going to end with them. We're going to look at the manifestations that are common in our own lives, where we miss the point and actually argue it's the right thing. So, I'm going to read to you from the Gospel of Matthew, which is one of the four uh, biographical accounts of the life of Jesus is in the Bible, and I'm going to read you 14 verses, and it's a story, and this is what it says. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on a Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pick heads of wheat and eat them. But when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is against the law to do in the Sabbath. He said to them, 
Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? How he entered the house of God and they ate the sacred bread, which was against the law for him or his companions to eat, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law that the priests in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are not guilty? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what this means, I want mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Then Jesus left that place and entered their synagogue. A man who was there, had a, who, there was a man there who had a withered hand. And they asked Jesus, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they could accuse him. He said to them, Would not any of you, if you had one sheep that fell into a pit in the Sabbath, take hold of it and lift it out? How much more value is a person than a sheep? So, it is lawful to do good in the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and it was restored, as healthy as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted against him as to how they could assassinate him. All right, we're going to walk through that passage a little at a time. So here's what's happening. It's Saturday. It's a beautiful Saturday in Israel, and Jesus and the disciples are walking through a grain field, and they're hungry. And so what they do is they reach up, and they take some grain off a stalk, and they eat it. Not the tastiest treat, but, you know, it gave them something to eat. As they did that, the Pharisees who were the religious leaders of that day, they cried foul and they said, Jesus, are you not, again, are you oblivious? Do you not see what your disciples are doing? They're breaking the law. To understand what's going on, you have to understand this. The Sabbath was a concept that God started way back in the beginning, and it said, he said, six days you shall labor, and the seventh day shall be a Sabbath. Sabbath simply means rest or cessation. And the seventh day will be a rest for you. And then throughout the Old Testament, you see God teach sort of some practical, concrete manifestations of that. As you go through the Bible, what you realize is the whole point of it was God was trying to teach us something bigger. And I'll get to that later. But for now, just understand, the Sabbath was meant to be a day where people rested from their labor, from their work. And so the disciples, as they went through and grabbed this, you have to understand this. This is what they did. They reached up, they grabbed the stalk, they take some off and they ate it. And the Pharisees said, you're working. You're harvesting the grain. They're thinking, I'm, I just picked a little bit of this to eat. Seriously, is this wrong? The Pharisees accused them of being lawbreakers, of being unrighteous, of being outside of the will of God because they reached up and they grabbed some grain to eat it. How is this possible? Well, that's what Jesus seems to wonder. It's almost like, okay, I think you've missed something here. You know, I I think something maybe has gotten a little off. So let me see if I can explain to you the point. And so he says, "Uh, didn't you read this? When, when David and his companions were hungry, they ate the sacred bread, the bread that's in the temple. And, and technically, it's only for the priests. And so they, they ate that because they were hungry, and that was fine. Or, or Don't you know that every, every Saturday, which is the Sabbath in the Old Testament was a Saturday, that every Saturday when the, when the priests are in there doing stuff, they're working, right? And, and they are technically desecrating, I think Jesus used air quotes here, They are desecrating the temple. You with me? Not really. They're desecrating. And and that was okay, because, you know, it's really not desecrating. They're just 
eating the bread, and they're, and, they're, and they're working because that's their job. They have to work on Saturday. Don't you see that that's not a, a big deal? So he, he walks away. I, I mean, I was, I was going to say, you know, thinking maybe he's got through to them. I, I, I don't think that's true, him being, you know, omniscient and all. But so it goes to the next scene. It says at the end of that, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. That's an important thing. Je- Son of Man is Jesus' phrase for himself. And in another place, what he says is this. Uh, when there's, he gets, believe it or not, this sort of argument happens all the time in the New Testament about, about Saturday, about working. And so in one place, Jesus says, I'm, I need you to understand something that the, sab- the man isn't made for the Sabbath. Sabbath is made for humanity. In other words, this is for you. And you're not supposed to follow the rule for the rule's sake. The rule was made for you, for your good. You see, here's really the story of, of the, the Sabbath. What God does, six days you labor, seventh day you shut, you, you shut, you shout? You won't. He's trying to teach something. Essentially, this is what I think God is trying to teach. Two things. One is, y'all are, y'all are going to kill yourself if you don't stop. Seriously. You will. If I don't, if I don't give you some, some thoughts about rhythm in life, you'll just keep plowing ahead at whatever it is. No breaks. I want you to learn something about rhythm. I want you to learn that, that life is not simply about labor. I want you to worry about breaking, about pausing. And then a bigger picture that God is teaching is, and that pause is meant to picture for you, the idea is you're made for rest, your soul to be at rest, not restless. Your soul to be at rest with me. And this actually uses a picture of our eternal state where we are at peace and at rest. And so God's saying, okay, big picture here, big picture. I got a, I got a law here for you. It's for you. It's to serve you. That's, that's why I give you rules. They're to serve you. They're to, make, they're to make life better for you. And here's what I'm teaching in that. Isn't that awesome? So anyway, that's what he's teaching in that. So then what happens is, it says, Jesus left that place and entered their synagogue. And there was a man there with a withered hand, and they said, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they could accuse him? Now see, it's at this point, I'm pretty sure they haven't understood his previous reasoning. Because... You gotta get the picture. It says there's a guy and his hands withered, which is not good. And 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 they say, Is it okay to heal him? And they on the Sabbath, and they say this so they can accuse him of what? Of working. And so essentially they were saying, Okay, you sort of got out of that last one with the whole, you know, desecration thing. And and so but clearly, taking a withered hand and healing it, that takes a lot of work. And so if you heal his hand, that's working. Is that okay, Jesus? Really? Are you breaking the law again? So Jesus asks them two rhetorical questions. He says, okay, just, just hold on a second. Let's, let's, let's think about this. Let's just, let's just pause for a minute. Let's say if you had a sheep that fell into a pit on the Sabbath, would you get it out? A rhetorical question means the answer is obvious. And they, yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, I had a sheep fall in. Yeah, I'd, I'd get it out. You know, because what am I going to do? I mean, the sheep's falling in the pit and got to get it out. I can't really wait till the next day. Okay. Number two. A, sh- uh, a person's more valuable than a sheep, right? Again, it's one of those rhetorical questions. You can't say, oh, no, of course not. The sheep's way more valuable. You can't say that. So, okay, that's true too. So he goes, all right, so if you got the sheep in the pit on a Saturday, you're going to get it out. So, if a man's not, or a woman is not doing well on a Saturday, you're going to help them, right? Thinking they're going to go, uh-huh. And says, okay, well, he heals the hand, and they go, okay, we're going to have to kill him. 
And that's where you go, okay, something here didn't, something here doesn't jive. And here's what it is. And here's how you know if people do not see life like you at all. When you make your very calm, reasoned case, and they go, okay, we're going to have to kill you. (laughs) You see, the Pharisees were eminently logical. Their faith was based on logical, rational approaches to everything. And so they had thought this thing through pretty well. Seriously, they had laid out all, all, they had architected this intellectual faith. And the only, well, I shouldn't say that. One of the problems with logic is logic goes like this, like a syllogism, premise, premise, conclusion. If this premise is true, that premise is true, then it must equal here. That's sort of what Jesus thought he was doing with the whole, you know, sheep thing. If any of the premises are wrong, the conclusion will be invalid. It'll be wrong. The Pharisees had an invalid premise. And that's why the only thing they could say is, okay, we're going to have to kill you. They had an invalid premise. What was that? Jesus says, if you'd understood this, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you'd be reacting differently. See, essentially what they're saying is, okay, I understand the guy's hand is withered. It'll be withered tomorrow too. I mean, seriously, logically, his hand has been bad for years. So what's one more day? What's 24 hours more misery? What's the big deal, Jesus? Because, premise, the rules are the core of our faith. Follow the rules precisely and you'll be okay with God. Don't follow the rules, you won't. So, Jesus, rule, don't work on Sabbath. You're trying to heal somebody on the Sabbath. You're a lawbreaker. And so, Jesus, I don't know how to put this to you, but you're just not that spiritual. They were unbelievably off. They had missed the point. They thought the rules were actually the point of their faith. There's this passage in, in, uh, later on in the New Testament in the, the letter to the Galatians. It's a letter written to a church in Galatia. And at one place, the writer is trying to ex- sort of explain, so what was the point of the rules? Because rules have a point. And he actually says they have two points. He says this, Thus the law had become our guardian until Christ so that we could be declared righteous by faith. The, the word guardian there, it, it refers to, it's, it's a, a situation at that time where a young uh, person was, was given uh, tutors or guardians who sort of walked through them in life. They were, they were crossed between bodyguard and tutor, and they protected them. And they also led them toward where they needed to go. And so, and so what, what Paul says in this passage is, okay, there, there are laws all throughout the, the Bible. Let's understand what they're there for. They're your guardian. They're essentially there to keep you from screwing up and hurting yourself. Like, like Sabbath. Don't work every day. Don't work all the time. It'll be bad for you. Don't commit adultery. It goes really poorly if you do. The laws were there to keep you from hurting yourself. But also to teach you something. One, one way this is, this is translated as a schoolmaster to lead you to Christ. To understand that it's not, the rules are not the point. When you see them, they ought to prick your soul in such a way that you realize what you need is a savior. Not perfection. You need forgiveness. You need not to try to gain approval from God. You need to be forgiven so you can be granted it. 
That was the point of the law. Thank God we're not Pharisees, because that would be bad. You know, it would be hard, honestly. I could probably be accused of a lot of things. The normal word that would come out wouldn't be for me that you're a Pharisee. It might be that I'm too loose or expedient. A psychologist once said I was off the charts expedient. That's not necessarily good. So you wouldn't normally think I could be accused of being a Pharisee. I think I could. Here's why. I'm going to ask you a question. If I was to say to you, are the rules the point, you would say no. You would. I mean, that's too easy. It's sort of like when Jesus is arguing with the Pharisees and he says, is, is, is the sheep falls in, you're going to get it out? Yeah. It's too easy. So let me ask you this. If I were to ask you this question, and, and for the audience playing along at home, if you are somebody who is not yet in faith, if you wonder what the whole thing is about, I want you to play along with us because it'll be, it'll be helpful. If you're asked this question, what does it mean to be a mature Christian? I just want you to stop and think about that. What, it, what would it be? And if somebody say, are they mature? Are they a mature Christian? There are one of three answers that often comes to our mind that sound perfectly correct. Answer one. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, how do I know this? Well, he reads the Bible a lot. I mean, really, I don't know many people who read the Bible more than, than he does. And, and he prays. I mean, he prays regularly and for all sorts of people. And, and I, think, I think he actually gives, gives a lot of money uh, away. And uh, he's, at, he's at church really all the time. Serves well. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Now, right now, when I say that to you, there's a part of you goes, that's it, Bruce, <laughs> that's actually right. <laughs> that actually is <laughs> what it means to be mature. It's not. I'll be brutally honest with you. I have known people in my past two, one of them about 20 years ago, he read his Bible an hour every day, and what I always wondered was, I'm not sure what you read. Because I didn't ever see really any change because of it. Now, here's the scary thing. I am going to have to qualify this. I, I don't want to. But I'm going to have to qualify this because it seems so off. I'm not saying reading your Bible is bad. Lord, no. I'm not saying praying is bad. I'm not saying any of those are bad. I'm not saying the rule not to work in the Sabbath was bad. I'm saying it isn't the point. Answer one, sure, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They're mature. They do this, this, and this. Answer two, are they mature? Yeah, I mean, they're really, they're really quite deep. They understand a lot of theology, and uh, really, you can almost ask them anything. They really understand the nuances of the faith, and they Answer three, are they mature? Well, yeah, I mean, their life is really pretty cleaned up. They don't screw up much at all. And, and they're nice. Now, I didn't say kind. That's a pretty huge distinction, by the way. They're nice, they're polite, they're kind, they're thrifty. They're almost like a Boy Scout. Or a Girl Scout. All three of those answers sound so good. 
and they're really wrong. They answer other questions. They answer other questions well. They don't answer the question, what does it mean to have a mature relationship with God? They're practices. So what is the answer? Well, Jesus tells us, thankfully, love God, love others. Not because you must, not because someone told you to, because you want to, because your heart is alive. If all that's left is duty, I'm falling on my sword. I understand what Pedro, his name is not Pedro, I understand what Pedro the Lion is saying. If that's it, seriously, if that's it, let me out. That's all I got because duty is a dime a dozen. As I said, there are places where it fits, but this is not one. If all it is is do your job, do your best, work hard, and in the end, you know, you'll be a... I mean, maybe you want that. But if you do, by the way, Christianity doesn't actually offer that. What Christianity offers you is a relationship with God. And as I said in the beginning, duty is quite famously off when it comes to relationship. Do I go out on dates with my wife? Yes. Do I do them because I have to? No. Would somebody say, does Bruce have a great relationship with his wife and say, well, he goes out to dinner with her some? (laughs) Sounds so silly when put that way, doesn't it? Why doesn't it sound silly when we say, does Bruce have a great relationship with God? Well, yeah, he reads his Bible a lot. Going out, see, do you see the, do you see the analogy? Going out a day with my wife is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Reading your Bible is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It is not the answer to the question. And when we make it the answer to the question, we've missed the point. Because then adherence to the rule becomes the measure of our lives. And then we do it not because it makes us alive, because we're supposed to do it. And as soon as we do it because we're supposed to do it, our heart starts to die a little at a time. And like that man's hand, our soul just starts to wither. I had never thought about that before. I wonder if Jesus was using his analogy. Who knows? I'll ask him later. Like, much later. Hopefully. So what's the point? The point is you were made to be free. Why is religion so tempted to make it about the rules? I honestly don't know. I I don't. I think I know, but I could be wrong. I think it's because deep down within each one of us, we still believe that something needs to be, we've got to earn something. Somewhere deep down within each one of us, we still think we're not quite right, not quite good enough, and so I better do something. Yeah, 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 Jesus died for my sin, that's awesome. But I better do something to prove that I'm okay. Not necessarily to God, it's usually to ourselves. There's something within us that's still battling that sort of thing, and it's why I love that line, somebody told me this story of sinners ransomed by the fall. It has much less appeal if it's somebody tell me the story of some people deciding they were going to work really hard to create lots of rules and follow them as best they could and judge other people when they didn't. Not a lot of life in there. Somebody tell me the story of sinners ransomed from the fall. That I want to hear. 
uh, if there were only a story of people who were broken and couldn't fix themselves, and somebody who had the power nobly choosing to enter in and forgive them and accept them and love them just as they were, that would be a story worth hearing. That is the story of Christianity. The story of Christianity is the Son of God looking at you, seeing the broken parts to your life, and choosing to enter in and send his Son to die for you, to pay for every single one of your sins, to forgive you, and to make you free. You don't have to prove anything to anyone. Though I know you still feel like you have to. One of the missions that I think God wants to do in every one of our hearts is to finally convince us he loves us right now. Not later. Not if I just can read the Bible some more. Right now. His mission is to make us free in our hearts bursting so that one day we pick up the Bible and we start to read, not because we have to, not because if we miss a day we're going to be screwed, but because in deep hope that if I pick this up in these pages, I might experience the God who made me and who longs for me to be alive. And, and one day I stop and I close my eyes and I call out to God because the deep belief that he is there and if I speak to him, he will resonate with my soul and I start to give money away, not because it'll make me look better or because I'll feel like I've checked something off because I love people and I'm surprised by it. I'm surprised by the fact that I want to. And so you end up coming to church not because, well, you're supposed to go to church. This is the buckle of the Bible belt, but you start coming to church because you have this deep hope that something will happen, that you can connect with other people and touch their lives, that that God would speak to you in the midst of it, that you'd be challenged and And the definitions start to shift. And when that happens, we start to miss the point a lot less. I want for you what I want for me. I want freedom. I want to love people and love God out of the depths of my heart. And I know as long as duty becomes my barometer, I never will. I'll be a slave to the rules. That's missing the point. God offers you himself. He offers you a heart awake and alive. He offers you beauty in the midst of brokenness. Don't let anyone, including yourself, make you a slave to something lesser. It's for freedom you were set free. Let's pray. Lord, would you open our heart to a deeper and more beautiful truth? A truth that can not disparage duty, but actually embrace the moments where it's necessary. But to a deeper truth that you made our hearts and you're trying to put them back together. And so in a deep moment of forgiveness and release, our hearts are changed and we begin to love you and love others. Lord, make that increasingly our story.
Give us the wisdom every day to strike down the insidious tendency to live for the rules instead of letting the rules serve us. Lord, I pray that as we come into this part of the service, you by your spirit would speak to our hearts. I pray particularly today for those who walked in and they think those words of that song by Pedro Line could be theirs. Is there another story? Because if it's just duty, I'd just as soon fall on my sword. Would you, by the power of your spirit, in ways that I cannot speak to their hearts, that they would know that there is a story of ransom and of rescue and of hope and of beauty and of love and of forgiveness that's in you, and they can have it right now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.